You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. Jesus is so, so good. He's incredible, eh? Like, he's so amazing. You know, if I was busy like God, uh, I don't know if I would say, well, it's just two of them, I'm showing up. <laughs> you know, I'll say, you know, when, when you are bigger, I'll come, you know? Uh, but, you know, fortunately, he loves us so much, eh? He loves us so much that when we show up in his name and we meet in his name, he shows up fully. You know, he really, really shows up fully. And the Lord is here with us. Amen. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. We're going to get into the word. And as we get into the word, let's pray that indeed the Lord would make our hearts good ground as we've prayed. Amen. But just to jump straight in, you know, when I was preparing and thinking about the word for today, one of the things I was remembering is being a, a young person with a strong love for TV, you know. Uh, I know now we don't consume TV the same way, but in those days, uh, if you're still consuming TV in this fashion, then you need to upgrade the TV, eh? uh, But in those days, you had to consume program after program in that sequential order, you know, there was no binge watching. There was no, you know, there was none of that. If you missed the show, you missed it. It was over, right? And the trick with it is that SABC3 used to have the best shows from 6.30 to 7.30. But that was the most awkward time. Do you know why? Because the news was at that same time. And you were not going to win the battle against the forces in that household, right? to not watch the news at 7, at 7.30, at 8.30, at 9, right? And this news were repeating. So we, knew, we had to watch, we used to watch the Nguni news, right? We used to watch the English news. We would even watch the Afrikaans news. And then eventually the Venda and Songa news. And the news was saying the same thing. And no matter how much I wanted to watch that 6.30 show, I could not prosper. I had to accept that this is the order of the day. It was painful, you know. I've had to let go of much bitterness just connected to this, you know. The one that closely touches me as well was also cricket. That's why I never liked cricket, because it would always play when Dragon Ball Z would be on TV at the same time, you know. It never minded the schedule. But the interesting thing about the news is that there was this segment that played at the end of each and every news station consistent, right? And that was the weather. You know, we would see the weather, it's going to rain, it's going to be overcast, it's going to be that, it's going to be that. And that weather forecast will determine the tone for tomorrow, isn't it? We would then decide, because the newsman said it's going to rain, we're wearing our raincoats, our windbreakers to school, we're carrying our umbrellas, isn't it? That weatherman helped us to descend the next day, to understand what it is we ought to actually be doing in the next day. And you know, this idea of watching the weather to determine what to do is not a new idea. It's not a thing that is now available just because there's TV. It is a thing that has always been there, okay? Now, if we go to Luke 12, we will see that even in the days of Jesus, this was a common thing. He says in Luke 12, verse 54. Um, I think I'm reading in the NIV, but I, I prefer the NLT if you do have it, but I know you don't have it, it's okay. Okay, he said to the crowd in verse 54, 
When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. When you see the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Notice here, it's not a causal sort of incident, right? It didn't rain because they said it's going to rain. All they did was observe a reality that was actually going to take place. They simply read the times. That's what they did. And notice that these people that is talking to were not meteorologists, isn't it? These were not expert people in how the surface of the earth is operating, and therefore, you know, this is what we should actually expect. These were ordinary people. And we can assume that they were able to do this reading because they were humans on earth. And humans on earth, after some time, know how to read the weather. You know, my son is four and a bit months, right? They teach them to go outside and look at the weather now. And then they determine what they must wear based on the weather, right? This is normal. So you don't need to have much experience to be able to read the weather. The point is, this was a simple thing uh, to actually read the weather. And of course, if you're like me and Munewa and you're from Venda, if you see a small cloud the size of the hand that Elijah saw, what do we do, Munewa? You wear every jersey, every jacket, it's cold, right? <laughs> you know, so hopefully the Lord can redeem us from that. <laughs> you, you've been redeemed. Okay, I'm still not redeemed. <laughs> you know, and I'm still trying to pass it to my children uh, who don't understand. But if we go to the next verse in 56, listen to what Jesus says. He says, hypocrites. In other versions, would say actors, pretenders. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? That's interesting, right? Like he's saying, guys, you know how to do this very natural thing that a four-year-old can do, but you're a hypocrite because you can't transcend to the spiritual. You can't smell the rain in the spiritual and say it's about to rain. You can't feel the wind in the spiritual and say, hey, it's going to be hot, and therefore, this is what I should be doing. So you're just living as carnal. That's tough, right? That's very, very tough. Because normally we'd say, well, it's the prophet who must interpret the time, and then we know. But it says, no, there were no meteorologists for that weather uh, sort of scenario that I gave. So this is not a prophet's thing. Of course, prophets interpret the times at a different scale and level, right? but this is everyday life. We should be able to interpret the time and determine how to actually act, and not just based on physical readings, but based on what is actually happening in the spiritual, isn't it? And you will know that there was this crowd referred to as the sons of Issachar, isn't it? What happened with the sons of Issachar? They understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. But what's interesting about them? There's probably been more sermons about the sons of Issachar, but there's so little said about them in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Because of this single attribute, these guys have gone down as heroes. They have gone down, you know, as heroes, just because they understood the times. And understanding the times is so critical, saints, because the Bible tells us there is a time for everything and a season for everything, isn't it? So if you actually act out of time and inconsistent with that particular time, you can actually do major damage. You can imagine I tell you that there's a death in my family and then you blast the music and you start your dorm music. You know, you, are, you have misread the time because in a season of mourning, we mourn with those who mourn. 
You know, in a season of laughing, we laugh and we rejoice with those who rejoice. So we need to be able to read the times. But let's backtrack. Because this scripture and this chapter is very interesting. If we go back to Luke 12 and we scroll up, I guess we don't page anymore. We scroll up um, and we go to verse 13, right? You will see that this, in fact, this scripture is very interesting, this entire chapter, because at the very top, he actually says, Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about, stepping on each other. And what did Jesus do? Jesus turned to his disciples and started talking to them. So for this entire period of this scripture, until verse 13 of Luke 12, he had not actually spoken to the crowd. He had only been speaking to his disciples. And perhaps they're hearing memories, they're curious, what are they actually saying? And what happened in verse 12, in verse 13, is that somebody called from the crowd, that's what the scripture says, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. This is the last conversation that this crowd heard before they heard the next thing Jesus said, which was, you are hypocrites because you can't interpret the times. So I think there's a connection there, right? Because this is the last thing they heard uh, before actually that. Now, what happened at this point is that we, and, and there's something interesting here in verse 13, because if we are surrounded by crowds, it's very rare that we'll turn and just address the 12. It's quite more natural that you address the crowd instead of the 12. So like Jesus and God, they, they think differently, hey? Indeed, their thoughts are higher, their ways are higher, you know? Somehow they're able to appreciate that I have to do a work in this individual's life, even though there's a crowd. And sometimes we feel like that, like, wow, Jesus, it's so busy. There's so many other problems. My problems are too small, you know? Just that person is going through more. But Jesus is able to actually address you as an individual, even in the midst of actually everything. Um, and then let's look at verse 14, because that's not the point. But I think there's something interesting there worth further meditating on. But you can meditate on your own time, not on this time, because there's no time. Right? Okay, verse 14, Jesus replied, Friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And that's also interesting. It's a pause-worthy moment. You know, it's that seller moment. Because Jesus is not saying life is not measured. He's just saying the measure with which you are measuring your life is wrong. It is not measured by the accumulation of things. It's measured by something else. And the question should be what actually measures it. And Jesus will tell us a bit, a bit later, right? And the challenge with our modern day is that we tend to get so easily con confused and convinced that life is about the accumulation of things. If you look at how we live, right? We go from bigger to bigger to bigger, right? From shinier to shinier to shinier to shinier. Why? Because we are convinced that the bigger, the better, right? The bigger, the more I stand out, then I am the man, right? And this is kind of the thinking that we have. But Jesus says, that's not how life works. That's not how you actually measure life. Life is actually different. And look at this example that he gives us in verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produces fine crop. That's a nice farm, eh? A fertile farm that produces fine crop. This man then said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, 
Imagine you're talking to them, my friend. That's amazing, eh? Uh, money will make you say weird things, eh? <laughs> Is it my friend? You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. You will get you you then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. That's amazing, right? This person made 13 references to themselves in like two verses. Imagine two verses, you can say so many I's and mine and me's. It's it's hectic, right? And God shattered his entire word, his entire world with three references to him. That's amazing. He kept focusing on himself, what I can get. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me, right? It, it, and so forth. That was kind of the attitude that he had. And not being able to discern the most basic level of the times. And the basic level is that you are going to die one day. I'm sorry, that's a fact across the board. This should not be blowing anybody's mind. Okay, you are going to die one day. This suit that we are wearing, I know it's a nice suit, so not this one, but the, the, the body, right? It's going to actually pass away. This is the reality. Even this earth that we are on is going to pass away. All these things are going to die. The fact that that is going to happen means that we ought to be asking different questions today. We ought to be. We can't be living for the accumulation and the storage of things for here like we are going to be there. We can't, because we won't be there. You know, we are going to wake up and be before God, and we're going to have to have a tough conversation. What are we going to talk about? Say, I'm poverty, poverty, poverty towards you, but I'm rich. I was a billionaire. I was in Forbes list, right? I was a dollar billionaire, as we said. And we have to think about it, right? Do I want to be a dollar billionaire? in rands and in, well, I guess you can't be in rands, but in cash, is that my goal or do I want to be rich towards God Amen. and allow everything else to come as an expression of that? Because he's not saying here that there was anything wrong with the accumulation. The issue is that like Satan's I, 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 this man was in the I, 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 I. Which spirit was on him to be influencing the I, 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 I? Because the spirit of God will be influencing us differently because he reminds us of the things that Jesus has said. And has Jesus said, be all self-centered? If your barn is smaller, build a bigger one. It has to be shinier, bigger, better. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, isn't it? That's what Jesus said. So at the end of this, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. The rich man failed to actually descend this. He failed to think, how do I live beyond the now and live for God? You see, him being rich towards God was not going to change the fact that he was going to die. It was just going to change the fact of the meaning of his life on earth and the meaning of what happens next. He was going to die anyway, right? So even if the Lord had given him 10 more years, he was going to die. 20 more years, he was going to die. But the question is, is he wealthy in a way that he can take it with when he goes to the, to the next life? It's weird to say next life. It's a continuation. Okay? 
So that's very important. We need to be reached towards God and discern the times and discern that right now is not about our accumulation. It's actually about the kingdom. It's not about the accumulation. It's about the kingdom. And notice that what had happened with this rich man, right? Did you see that? He said, I'm already rich, um, and then I'm going to get even richer. And whew, if, when I'm finally even richer, I'll be happy. He wasn't even happy. He wasn't. You know, and I'm sure you've seen kind of the, the anecdotal psychology that's being shared now, that those who can afford to buy yachts have no capacity to enjoy them. Because once they get into that yacht, that yacht tells them, you'll be happier in the bigger one. Right? Once they get in that one, you'll be happier if it was in the Hamptons. Once they get into that one, you'll be happier if it was in Dubai. The yacht keeps talking and talking and talking, not realizing that there's an eternity-shaped hole in all of us because the Lord has put eternity in our hearts and there is nothing in this world that can satisfy that and the ability to discern that quickly is critical to living life well. The quicker we are able to discern that the things that are in this world will not satisfy, will not fill, the quicker we'll be able to prioritize the things we ought to. That's what will actually happen, friends. You know, he didn't realize that the Lord has already said, hey, I can show you the parts of life. These parts of life will lead you to my presence. And in my presence, there is fullness of joy. He didn't realize that joy was not about the accumulation. It was about the presence. It was about the presence of a person who actually carries joy being in your life. That you are able to actually tap into a joy that has nothing to do with what you have or what you actually are going through. There is a deeper joy, a joy that doesn't just fleet away because the circumstances have changed, right? There is some joy that we have built around the friendship circle that we have, not knowing that that friendship circle only exists because our, of our worldly status at this particular point in time. And some people learned the hard way through the COVID pandemic. They lost their jobs, they learned, lost their earnings, and that close friend was nowhere to be seen. Not realizing and not being able to discern the times. We need to discern the times. Oh, what a rich fool, right? He was rich, but he was a fool. In that, there's even a revelation. Because we tend to think the rich are fine. Right? Do you have the confidence to see somebody stepping out of a, are there Panameras anymore? You know, I don't, I don't know these cars. Stepping out of the Panamera and sharing the gospel with them. Do we have the guts to do that? Or we see them step out of a Panamera and we say, wow, praise Jesus, even me, you know, I'll be happy one day when you put me there. You know, you speak in tongues and you circle the Panamera seven times, you know. We are envying the world. We are envying them. We want to be them. That's sad. We are failing to discern the times. We are failing. And listen here and look in the scripture, right? Jesus never says money is the problem. It's not. The problem is the relationship with money. It's the love of money. That's the problem. The moment there is a love of money, that's where deception sips in. You know, that's where deception sips in and we become greed-driven, Right? And greed is always a tricky thing because a greedy person and a devout person sometimes look identical. Do you know a greedy person and a devout person will show up to every prayer meeting, 
They will fast and lose weight, right? They will do all of that. But the greedy person, when the deal comes through, they go away because it was never about the Lord. It was about that tender that has been submitted to say, Jesus, you know, until I get this tender, right? It was about that thing. It was about that job. It was about that promotion. It was never about the relationship with God. Greed disables our ability to discern the times. And the challenge with it is that we assume we are fine because the life of a greedy person can look identical to the life of a devout person. They can look identical. And we'll praise the, the, the greedy person not knowing and we'll promote them, we'll give them responsibilities in the church, not realizing that they were waiting for that Panamera money to arrive and that's what they were actually fasting for. There's nothing wrong with the Panamera, by the way. Nothing. You know, just drive it from a right place and a right heart, right? Desire it from a right place. Let it flow from the riches of God, right? There is a reality, a, a factual, factual reality that there are some people you will not reach with your Nissan Micra. I drive a Nissan Micra, just so you know. So I'm not, okay? There are some people that just won't listen, right? There are some people that will only listen once they hear your title. They say, oh, you're a doctor and you believe in Jesus, let me hear. So it's not that those things are wrong, okay? It's what we make those things to actually mean. It's our failure to actually descend at that particular point. So the rich man was able to actually descend the weather to know how to build a commercial farm. But he was unable to actually descend why he was actually alive. That's so sad, right? We can descend the economics and say, okay, now I must invest here, invest like that. And we can't descend the spiritual investment we must make. And the Lord actually rebukes him and said, you fool. And, you know, sometimes Jesus just needs to say, it's not sin. You're just being stupid, friend. You know, it's not sin. It's a stupidity issue here. You know, and that was the issue here. It's a stupidity issue that needed to be repented of. You know, sometimes Jesus must just come to our lives and just say, hey, Rosanna, you're just being stupid here, you know? You know, it's not sin, okay? We're not talking sin. It's stupidity that we're dealing with at this point in time. And sometimes it's just that, dealing with the stupidity in our lives, you know? And he said, what? You hypocrites, right? In this version, it says, you're a fool because you fail to discern. And what does Paul say? Don't be a fool. Know what the will of God is. Amen. Discern. Amen. So there is something about embracing foolishness accidentally, assuming that that's how life ought to be. Don't be a fool. Know what the will of God is. That's what the Bible says. Look at what the man said, right? In the scripture, it says, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you prepared for who? For yourself. That's even crazy. Maybe it would have been better if said, you know, I'm building intergenerational wealth. You know, we mask it, right? We can mask greed with fancy language and terminology, right? And there's nothing wrong with intergenerational wealth, okay? But it shouldn't be a mask and a cover for something else because greed is idolatry. But he prepared this for himself. He kept getting bigger, getting richer for himself while continuing to be poorer and poorer for Jesus. That's so sad, right? Like poorer and poorer, bankrupt completely, not realizing that he could have just read Ecclesiastes. He would have found another man who was doing exactly the same thing as him. And that man came to a conclusion that it's all meaningless. It's better to just fear God. Because that man was also building bigger bonds, right? Had he just read the scriptures, 
he would have been able to discern. And you know, there are people in this world that are not as rich as him, and they have used their money in ways that will blow our minds. You know, there was one couple that I met in the Eastern Cape, and what they were doing is that they were actually opening coffee shops as an attraction point for the gospel. Right? And it's true. How many places have we been kicked out trying to share the gospel? If we own that coffee shop, who can kick us out? Right? They actually even build an employment program around it to actually change the community. They train people to be baristas. They train people to be all these things. They were using their wealth for something more. There are some that use that wealth to actually take that same model where they've opened coffee shops in the hard-to-reach places. So they have coffee shops in the Middle East because they say, well, we're not going to take a missionary, but we'll take a coffee shop. That's contribution to our economy. But that coffee shop becomes a base for the gospel. They're discerning the times and saying, what can I do to make the resources that the Lord has given me to be more meaningful? Okay? And, they are, and, and we do have kind of this righteous idea, right? Sometimes we have a righteous anger that stirs up when we look at our country. And sometimes we even have the resources to do something about it. We just don't. You know, we can turn our complaints into investments when we begin to actually descend the times. You know, and so it's so important to always ask the question like, why am I rich? You know, why am I rich? And, and many of us are rich, you know, just we, we, we forget that we are rich because we've compared ourselves to the Panamera, right? So well, I'm not rich because I'm but we are actually so resourced, especially when you just make it relative to our parents. You know, if I compare my life to what my parents' earning capability would have been, it's completely worlds apart. It does not compare at all. And it's not even about inflation. It's just a completely different, uh, you know, sort of world. So there is a wealth, you know, there is a richness that is there. But the question I ought to ask is, why am I rich? Why? Is it to get the bigger, shinier thing? Maybe not. It is for the kingdom. It is for the kingdom. So we need to discern and put a kingdom lens and ask Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you, you know, that I'm getting to my ex, you know, millions, whatever the case is. What do you want to do with it? What should we actually be doing with it? You know? There's one, one man, I just forget his name, but he built a university in the States, um, and he was asked the question, so he used to run an earth-moving company, and he was asked the question, like, don't, you, like, don't you run out of money? I mean, you keep giving. And he said, no, God has a bigger shuffle. You know, I keep shuffling out, but God's shuffle is bigger. Like, God is not lazy and uh, unable to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. But it's to deal with why we actually want that. Like, why do you actually want more money? What is it for? You know, why? Pause and ask. I think that's so important. Just pause and ask. Does it, and how does it even contribute towards me becoming richer in God? How? Some things we get them and they move us away. So do we actually want that? Is that worthwhile? To lose our souls while we have the resources and the attention of this world. And it's, it's so amazing, right? Like the resources, once you accumulate and you have, you actually attract the attention of the world. But if you're not descending the time, you just use the attention for self-promotion, for further accumulation. Not realizing that we can now use the attention to unlock something more. 
we can put a kingdom lens on that attention. You know, and even, you know, some of us in our small reaches today will already get the attention of significant people that we are able to do something so amazing for the kingdom. But we go there thinking, what can my next promotion look like? We go there thinking self-position. Whereas the Lord says promotion does not come from there, from there, from there, from there. It comes from Him. Which means we can be securely after kingdom realities. We ought to seek first the kingdom of God. So let's pause there and then wonder, why did this rich man fail to discern the times? What were the things that prevented him? So I'm just summarizing quickly because we've touched on some of them, right? One is that the love of money deceived him. It deceived him completely. It told him, when you get richer, then you'll be happier, right? How many times do we say that, I will give when I'm... Or, or is it, okay, maybe it's too close. Okay, let me more general, okay. Okay, you know, but that's what we would say, right? I will do this when this actually happens, right? I'm, I'm going to be completely devout once I get married. You know, it's just that right now, but that's missing the point completely. You know, and we see it so often that people say, you know what, I'm going to use and exhaust my youth, right? Um, and fortunately, a lot of us are youth and youth looking. Um, so we can say all of us are youth because of the youth looking element, right? Um, we want to exhaust our youth on the accumulation. We want to exhaust our youth to be the rich fool. That's actually what we want. We want to exhaust that. Then we say, well, when I retire, then I'll go and be a, you know, a lay minister in my church in the village. That's so sad. Like we want to give God our leftovers. Like God didn't say, hey, who's the least important angel here that can go die for them? He didn't say that. He didn't. But it seems like that can be our attitude. That's the deception of money. You know, and this deception and the cares of the world can choke the effectiveness of the word in our lives. That's what the parable of the seed tells us, right? So we have to be very careful. God wants us in every season. And God is not intimidated by our season of brokenness. He's not. He wants us even in that season when we feel like, I know, you, you can't use me at this date. He wants us in this season. He can handle it. He can handle every season of our lives and he can use us in every season. Money will deceive us to think that blessing must precede obedience. Not realizing that it's the other way around. The obedience precedes the blessing. So that was the first thing. The second thing is that he loved the world and he had actually immortalized himself in the world in his mind because he kept building more and more for this future version of himself who would be there to actually enjoy it. Not realizing that he won't exist. Not realizing that at all. The Bible is clear. The love of the world is enmity with God. We should not love the world. This world is passing away, saints. It's all passing away. We should not love it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, what happens? The love of the Father is not in him. The scriptures are so clear about this. The third thing I spoke about already, it's greed, right? He was unable to actually see. And greed is simple. Greed is very sim similar to our eyes, right? Similar to our ears. No matter how much you show these eyes, it's like they can't get full. They can keep seeing and keep seeing and want to see more in more diversity, in different ways. They say, oh, I've seen this dance style. I want another dance style. They want to keep seeing, right? Keep, 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 keep. That insatiable desire for the things of this world is very dangerous. 
it's very dangerous and it's a foolish thing to actually have. We have to wrestle it. We have to wrestle it and discern the times and discern the season, lest we find ourselves in, idol in idolatry. Amen? He was blind. But if you realize, all of this conversation started because of 10 words, right? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus' response effectively was simple here. He was saying, descend the times without being driven by greed. Then you will know what to actually do. Because why, do you want the, why did he want the inheritance? For what purpose? Descend the times, then you will know what you actually ought to do. Now, let's jump back down, right? Because this part now we're looking at what preceded. What did they hear before they heard that harsh sort of and tough truth from Jesus? So let's go back to verse 57. So this is then what they heard after Jesus told them to not be hypocrites. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? This is after he called them hypocrites. This is amazing. This, I think that's verse 57, right? So you can go to it. So this kind of shows that simple reality that we will know what to do and when to do it by this simple reality of being able to read the times. In the same way that we know to put on a raincoat because the weather said this, right? We will actually know. In verse 58, it then says, as you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled in the way, or your adversary may drag you, you off to the judge, and then the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. That's interesting, right? But you know, if you fail to discern the time that you are not in wartime, what will actually happen? You'll say, no one treats me like this. They're going to know me today. Right? And then you go to prison. <laughs> now we must fast and pray for you to be released. <laughs> or else humility would have just saved you during the way, during peace time, just to say, hey, you know, I think let's talk about it. You know, let, let's settle it differently. Let's not take it that far. What can we actually do here? Just some humility. But pride will pump you up to think, hey, you know, this is... They must know me. They must know who I am. Once again, it's that eye. Isn't it interesting? Like that eye always shows up. Which spirit gives us that eye? Which spirit gives us that eye? So when we are walking, when we are heading towards the courthouse, that entire season is peace time. It's talk time. We can negotiate. You know, we can discuss. You know, we can do all of that. You know, it's before the, the contract is signed that you can talk, isn't it? You know, some of us don't want to descend the times and we say, you know what, uh, you know, they will just feel my anointing and make sure I get a 20% extra in this contract. Failing to realize it's peace time now, it's talk time. It's negotiation time until the contracts are drawn up, until we actually got to the courtroom, right? But this is the reality of life. The reality of life is that we are all marching and journeying day by day, minute by minute, year by year, towards the great courtroom of life. We are watching there. We are actually walking towards there. And what are we delaying? What ought we to do now before we actually get there? What are we supposed to be saying to Jesus now? What are we supposed to be setting in place now? What is the repentance that's needed now? Because once you get into the courtroom, there's no repentance. It's done. 
You know, it's not like you see the door and say, Jesus, you know, you, you just all of a sudden appear in the great courtroom. And now we have to actually account. So we have to discern the times. Amen. So it's so important. It's so, so important. There is no repentance in that great courtroom. Amen. The repentance is now. Which means that this is important because there are people who we say, ah, they are fine. That we don't share the gospel too. That might be entering that courtroom tomorrow. They might be entering that courtroom tomorrow. Yeah. And remember the rich man, the rich man was making excuses, but they didn't, you know? They'll be saying, but hey, you know, Ruzani, Ruzani was a Christian. Oh, I didn't know. He didn't say anything. Yeah, he, he just kept, uh, you know, trying to close the next deal and the next deal. We were neighbors. That's all we focused on. You know? It's so interesting that there was, uh, somebody was uh, telling this experience of um, his pastor showing up at his workplace and the pastor introduced themselves like, Pastor Eric is here to see you and he just wanted to die and hide and cross somewhere. <laughs> you know, because now, you know, people, the way he's been living in the workplace, <laughs> you know, does not connect with the reality that the pastor has come to visit today. You know, imagine, and sometimes we do that, right? Yeah. We are amazing on Sunday. Huh? When we talk, you can feel that, hey, there's a fire on this guy. Yeah, you feel that fire. You meet me by Wednesday. I'm so, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm something else, eh? You're just shocked. Was it the same guy who was preaching? What happened here between these two days? You know, and there's a study which was actually done by the Banner Group, who studies kind of Christian organizations, which showed that the ability to remember the words when they survey people, by Wednesday, people don't remember anything that was said on Sunday. People don't remember. Do you know why they don't remember? Because they just heard. They didn't do it. They just walked out in self-deception. They deceived themselves and they quoted it a few times. Perhaps they even called someone and said, you won't believe it. This word will change your life. My life is completely changed. It's never going to be the same again. The kind of hallelujah I bring now is different. You know, it's very, very different. By Wednesday, it's shut down. Next Sunday, it's the same sequence. They call another person. You won't believe it. You will never, never believe it. The way, even the way it was delivered, I felt like God was speaking to me personally. Everyone else was just there. There were extras in my word. But by Wednesday, Dololo. Hmm? Thank God for connect, right? <laughs> uh, put the word into practice. That's how we discern, right? Now, there's another version of the same story, which we won't read for the purpose of time, but it's in Matthew 12. It's not the same. It's different, right? In Matthew 12, what happens there is that it's now the Pharisees that come to Jesus attempting to test him and to prove his authority. And they say to him, you know, show us signs and wonders, right? They come to him with that attitude. You know, they always had that attitude, show us this to prove this. Uh, and, you know, so, sometimes we fail to discern the time and then someone says, this person is demon-possessed, show us that you are a child of God, deal with this failing to discern the times, not realizing that even when Satan came to Jesus and said, do this to show that you are, he didn't respond. 
but we take off our jackets and say, okay, I will show you how to actually do it. Like we want the respect of demons. We want the respect. It's wrong, eh? Jesus would even say, demon, keep quiet, you know, don't tell them who I am. He didn't want the message to spread that way because we're always plan A. We're always plan A. And a demon can't carry a non-fearful message. They can't carry the message of love. But anyway, they tried it, right, to, to tempt him, and he responded in almost exactly the same words that he used here to say, no, guys, you know how to descend the weather, you know how to do all of that. There will be no sign that's given to you except the sign of Jonah. That's all he said. He said that's the only thing, and he called them a wicked and adulterous generation. But this version here, I think, gives us a little bit of a clue for how to actually discern the times. Because it says, hey, there's this Jonah reality that is going to be the thing that you need to, to discern. But the thing that's also heartbreaking about the one in kind of, um, I, I think it's in the first few verses if you're putting it up. So it's more like verse one, uh, you know, uh, at the top. Um, you know, so, so, so what happened in that particular case is that they, so they come, they do, they do that, right? And what is said about it is that they are asking him for something he's been doing. Isn't that sad and crazy and weird? So they're asking him for something he's actually been doing. So the entire time, what has he been doing? Miracles, signs, wonders. So why would they then come and request the same sign to prove? It's crazy, right? Because he'd actually been doing it. Like, imagine, I think sometimes like we fail to realize that Jesus is already here and he's already done it. Like, like we waste our time on certain prayers that we should never pray. You know, we, we, we keep praying for the power to go out, right? While the Lord has already given it to us. And we keep waiting for the power to come and the power to come. And the power is there. It's even getting cold. Can the power get cold? You know, it's... You know, we, we keep praying, saying, you know, if you just open the heavens, don't you realizing that it's already open? Like we keep doing this, missing that Jesus is actually there. Amen. Like they were blind to the glory which was right before them. Amen. Like completely, completely blind. And he said it's an issue of discernment. They can't read the times. They can't read that the great one is actually here with them. That's why they're still asking for questions like this. It's so sad. It's actually so sad. You know, we can keep praying for that neighbor to actually be saved. Whereas Jesus has already confirmed to say, and even given you a word of knowledge about this person. And the thing that's missing has just been obedience. And we just keep asking, asking the same thing, failing to discern that he's actually already done it. But anyway, let's go back to the clue. The clue here is Jonah, right? How would they have known about Jonah? There's only two possible ways. The first way is that they would have read it because it was there in their Torah. It was there in their, in their Bible, in the Old Testament. They would have read it. So they would have read about the story of Jonah and said, oh, okay, there's this Jonah guy in the Bible and so forth and so forth, isn't it? And I think that's kind of key number one to be able to discern. We need to have a lively relationship with the scriptures. If you just eat on Sunday, 
uh, Kwashi will strike us badly, right? <laughs> Kwashi won't let us go, you know? Like, we'll be so skinny. If you just eat on Sunday, yeah. it will actually be so sad. So we need to actually have a healthy and a good relationship with the Word of God, you know? I mean, and we have so many things to enable us. We have the reading plans that we're going on. We have, uh, you know, all these things that are actually going on. But if somehow we still fail to eat, we're not going to discern. And the thing is, when we read the word kind of personally and so forth, we're able to even discern the personal season. You know, there are personal seasons that are actually there in the spirit. That for you, it can be a season where you need to shift from this to that. And you don't know when to actually shift because you're not reading. So the reading is very important. I know it's nice like to wake up to the TikTok dance, you know? Like it's nice, you know? You, you get the latest dance move there and you see it. And some of us can't even dance, so we don't even know why we're watching, right? <laughs> you know, it's nice to wake up to social media, you know, and hear hashtag this and hashtag. But the Holy Spirit has an agenda over that day. And we should be waking up to the agenda of the Spirit and asking Him, what do you have to do? What do you want to do today? You know, and you know, we went through that season some maybe 15 years ago when there was a book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, right? Well, we used to wake up and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Yeah. What happened to that? You know, and the Holy Spirit was moving. The Holy Spirit was, was there. We experienced him. And it's not that he's not there when we wake up to TikTok. He's still there. It's just that we're not talking to him. You know, you can be married to someone and not talk to them. It's still a marriage. But you're just not talking. Okay. So we need to actually wake up with that agenda and ask him, what are you actually up to? I actually once had a, a mentor when I was in varsity. This guy, it's, this guy used to make me lose so much weight. This guy, I think he was not happy unless he saw me fasting. Uh, it was rough. And when you choose your mentors, be careful. Uh, I, yo, this guy used to make me fast. But what he used to do is that when he entered every room, he would always say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit. And this guy was one, I mean, he was, this, he was a peer, you know, with all of us. But this guy used to flow in the power of God like no one else in our entire peer group. Like nobody else. I'm talking from, you know, words of knowledge to actual, to healings of people, to all of that. You know, there were strange miracles that we actually saw as a consequence of what he was doing. He was so conscious of the Spirit of God. Every room he opens, welcome Holy Spirit. You know, welcome, Holy Spirit. And just that waking up to the agenda of heaven, I think will change our lives, right? So that's sort of point one. We must read. The second point, where would they have known about Jonah? They would have heard it. Obviously, we hear things uh, from the pulpit and the Sundays and the different messages that we hear and so forth. But when we are often hearing from the pulpit, um, the Lord can absolutely make it so personal that you feel like everyone else is an extra in your message, right? So that's possible. But often the word is global, right? It's a church message. It's the season that the church is in. It's the season that the nation is in. So it's a different level of discernment that we can experience from the pulpit message versus the personal message, right? The personal message, of course, can be global based on your calling. That is true. But let's just kind of keep it simple. You know, in the reading, you can experience your personal season. And then in, um, you know, this kind of uh, uh, atmosphere, you can experience sort of the global one. Um, and that's so important. So what I wanted to do is 
let's actually descend the times together as we close. Let's descend the times. We're eight months into the year. It's actually crazy to realize that we're eight months in, right? But if we think about it, the year has been relatively, you know, simple and clear in terms of what's going on. And thanks to the media team for making it easy to just open the YouTube page and see what has actually been preached the whole year. Like you can see, just one scroll, you see everything. But we started the year by talking about faith and how to actually live this life of faith, right? There's quantum leaps and so forth. We then shifted from there and spoke about prayer. You know, there was a big drive around prayer and so forth. And there was a big question that came after that around, do you want to be made whole? Right? We spoke about wholeness. There was a season that just focused on that. And we shifted and we spoke about soberness and alertness. You know, we spent a lot of time on that and a lot of time. And as of the last month and a bit, we've now shifted and we've been speaking about the harvest. Now, if you descend with me, you will realize that every message before the current season has actually been for our edification and building up. It's been to actually create a thing in us. You know, it's been to enable us to actually exercise faith, uh, to be prayerful, to be alert, to be sober, to actually live a full life. But the season we are in now is actually about expressing that thing. So we can't actually live in this season the same way. You know, the past season, we can almost imagine that it's similar to, you know, us gym guys, we take protein shakes, you know, as we prepare. It's similar to the protein shake, right? The protein shake makes us ready. But you know, if you just take the protein shakes and you don't go to the gym, do you know what will happen? You become fat. So the question is, are we ready to descend the season? Do you want to be a fat son, an ineffective son, or a fit and effective son? And fitness is going to come through the exercising of what we've actually been taught. The season has shifted. We need to descend. It's actually not a season anymore of piling up the protein shakes. It's a season of expressing what we've actually been taught. In Proverbs 10.5, it says, He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. We are in the season of harvest are we going to be a disgraceful son or are we going to be the prudent one? It's a choice. And the message keeps it simple. He says, you know, make hay while the sun, is, the sun shines. That's smart. Go fishing, during, go fishing during harvest. That's stupid. During the harvest, you go do this thing that's disconnected. Right? During the harvest, you go pile up the buns. Right? During the harvest, you go, then we've missed to actually descend the season. The season we are in is the season of harvest. That's what it is. And we've seen when we went out last week just to share the gospel with a few people, we saw really a move of God and, and God really touching lives. You know, there was one lady uh, who gave a testimony like she was so shy. Like the level of shyness was on level 100, right? Uh, that she wasn't confident to say the person got saved. You had to discern it. But that encouraged me and told me that boldness does not look like what I think. Boldness actually looks like showing up during the season of harvest. It's not about being loud. It's not about that. It's actually about showing up during the season. So we might say, well, I'm waiting for the boldness of God to come and hit me and then I will go. B, 
being like those in Matthew 12, who failed to miss that the glory was already here, still asking for signs and wonders that they already seen many of. Can you imagine you see fish multiplying and you still say, I've not seen any miracles. That's where they were. Boldness looks very different than what we assume. It's not always, you know, us, the sanguines. You know, we look bold. Well, I'm not really a sanguine, but let's assume. You know, we look bold, but that's not it. God can use every single expression that we actually have. And there was one person who went out and actually spoke to somebody who needed more an apologetics approach. And it so happened that that person was able to engage in apologetics. Like the Lord knows how he's moving this combine harvest. Like he knows how to take the shy person to their person that they can reach. And do you know that that person that they reached is likely to be someone that someone who comes in with a lot of volume might not have actually been able to reach. Lord, the Lord knows how to pay up. And when the Lord actually does what feels like a mispairing and we go to somebody and it's like, yo, this is too much, Lord. I, let me just collect data. I'll go and study and come back. That's an opportunity of weakness and his strength is perfected in that season. That's an opportunity for the power of God to actually move. Like what we preach, what we live is not theoretical. This is not just theology, guys. There is a real power, there is a real God, there is a real Jesus, a real Holy Spirit who wants to touch lives. And he's so good at doing it. He is really so good. Ours is really to facilitate. It's to facilitate what he's actually doing. But we saw that. The harvest is plentiful. May the laborers be many. May the laborers be many as we actually descend the season. The combine harvest is moving. And you know, when we share the gospel and somebody saved, we are able to do something so unique. We are able to create a joy that actually ripples through earth into the heavenly realm. That's amazing. There are very few things that we will do that is going to cause a party in heaven. There are very few things. And sharing the gospel is one of the few joys that we can enjoy before we get into the court, great courtroom. So if we can just stand up as we close and pray. Let's pray. Um, but before we, you know, get into the specific prayers, let's actually just think about two people. Nothing more than that. One or two people. One or two people that we can regularly pray for to actually know the Lord. That's all. One or two people regularly pray for. And this is not the time to think about Beyonce, right? Someone you can reach and talk to, okay? If, not that time. Someone you can reach and talk to. And we're going to pray for them and trust the Lord regularly and ask the Lord to say, when I talk to this person, Lord, do something. You know, I had been praying for somebody that I met through my son um, for a while and I had shared with him before, but there was no, there was nothing, right? That kind of, there was no movement. Um, but I shared and I gave him the one-to-one. -one. And I just said, Lord, you know, I just kept praying for him, kept praying for him. When I met him again, um, it had been over a year since we last spoke. He actually said, I, I tried reading that book of yours. That thing, I couldn't see anything. You know, there was nothing that was happening. I didn't even start the conversation. He just volunteered, which was a great opportunity to say, oh, no, no problem. Do you want to read it together? And we can start a discipleship conversation. So we're looking to think about those kind of people. 
just one or two that we can pray for. Praying for their body, their lives, their emotion, their spirit, their soul, right? The blessed prayer, as you know. And then second thing that we need to commit to, an activity. Like, can we do something that is not just us coming together and speaking in tongues, but there's actually unsaved people? Like, can we go jogging? Uh, can we join a market? Like, can we do something that is not just Christianese, right? Like, can we commit to a single activity that we will do that has nothing to do with, there's no direct correlation to church things. I think that's the second thing. And then when we are doing it, let's trust the Lord for just one person in that. And when the Lord gives us opportunity with one person, like, let's then just focus on the person, right? Jesus was surrounded by thousands, but he focused on the 12. When you read Luke 12, the majority of the conversations were with the 12. He actually said very little to the thousands. So let's actually do that. And then the last thing is to ask somebody, like just ask somebody to keep you accountable to point one and point two. So this person is going to ask you, right? This person is going to ask you and say, who are your two people? You must give names. It can be theoretical. It's not so-and-so on the fifth floor. No, it's Taban, right? Okay. Uh, and this person is going to hold you accountable to say which activity. It's not theoretical. It's I'm going to start jogging. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So let's pray and just pray perhaps even with a person next to you um, and just ask the Lord just over these two points. One, two people that I can be praying for regularly. Secondly, an activity that I can participate in. And then thirdly, just, you know, someone I can be accountable with. Does that make sense? Yeah, let's pray like that. Just pray with someone. Yeah, Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity to discern the season. That indeed, this is a season of harvest. It is a season where your combined harvest is moving. It's shifting, oh God. Things are not staying the same. You are moving and plowing through the city. You are moving and plowing through the harvest. So we just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, and say, Lord, inspire us, oh God. Inspire us just to have two people that we are regularly praying for, for your gospel, oh God, to actually reach them. Help us, oh Father, to participate in things that give us good proximity uh, to people that we can actually reach for your gospel. Help us, Father, to not be insulated, to not be stuck, oh Father, in just living within our Christian community and never actually reaching out. But help us to discern that this is a season where your combine harvest is moving and lives are actually changing. And we want to participate in that in the mighty name of Jesus. You are so great. You are so good. Your love is incomparable to any other. How amazing and how incredible and how much we are in awe for the privileged opportunity to participate in your love in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www dot every nation midrand dot org